It's nice to see you all. Thank you for the kind invitation for me to join you. It's, it's, it's particularly uh, joyful seeing the congregation uh, once every year, not only here in Brea, but also in Irvine, just seeing the way that the Lord is working among you and through the church as, as the churches uh, serve the greater region around here. Thank you for the opportunity for me to join you this morning. I'm coming up from Escondido, which is about, oh, 90 miles south from here. If you ever come by that area, please do drop by and say hello, see what the Lord is doing down there as well as on our campus as well. If I may be bold enough to uh, ask, if you do remember Westminster Seminary, California, please do pray for us as we continue our labors on behalf of the church. May we bow our heads and turn to the Lord in prayer first as we begin. Thank you, O Lord, for inviting your sons and daughters this morning into your home uh, so that we can behold your grace, we can revel in your presence, offer up our thanksgiving and praises to you. Lord, be with us so that these truths that we declare may not just become intellectually interesting for us, but that the words may transform our hearts and our minds, all that we are, on all that our church desires to be, may bring honor and glory to your name. For it is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm a pastor's kid. Maybe some of you are here this morning as well. And in growing up in a pastor's kid, one of the things that we used to do was to gather together for family worship as we aged. That became less and less frequent with the busyness of life. But we would gather to read a verse together, sing a song together, and to engage in discussions about what the Lord is doing in our lives. One discussion that I still remember with uh, some bit of clarity was a discussion about the benediction which is the prayer of blessing that comes at the end of most worships. Most people don't care much about it. It's a time when they try to sneak out as quickly as they can in order to get to the parking lot so they can rush out. But it's one of those important parts of worship that I've come to realize that all of us need to engage in. On the one hand, benedictions remind the worshipers that God has the first word and also the last word in worship. You may recall that most of our worships begin with the words of God as the pastor declares the call to worship, but the benediction reminds us at the end that he also has the final and the last word in our worship. Benedictions also reinforce the truth that God is the main message and the main messenger of worship. The message is about God and what he has done in Christ Jesus, and the one who declares it, despite using weak human agents like me and other pastors, it's he who declares his message to us. It, uh, the benedictions also declare the reign of God. That is, God is the Lord. He reigns over all, not only as a present reality, that he reigns over worship itself, but as a promise of the future, that when you go out of these doors, that God continues to exercise his lordship, and that he reigns over our lives, yours and mine. And lastly, the benedictions remind the church of her blessings, as well as her mission. That is, the, as the worship continues, we are reminded of God's blessing to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. But in the benediction, are we, not only are we reminded of our blessings, we are reminded of our mission. That as we go out, this is not just an end to our life of worship, but it's merely the beginning. It declares without hesitation to whom we belong and where we are sent. 
reminding the church of its mission of being a witness and light in the world. Part of the reason for fixating on this idea of the prayer of blessing is simply because what we read on our Psalms this morning is really words of blessing. And because we are reading the words of blessing, we want to see the benediction in our text and be reminded of our blessings as well as our responsibility to bless as people who are grateful before the Lord. It's going to have two parts. One is to talk about our blessedness, and the second is to talk about our responsibility to bless as people who are blessed. Perhaps many of you are familiar with the words of the blessing recorded in this passage. Often pastors use these words as the final prayer of blessing, uh, borrowing from Numbers chapter 6 in particular. In fact, many theologians will refer to these words as the Aaronic blessing, reminding us that these are words that Aaron blessed his people with when he uttered in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For you see, Psalm 67 echoes these words. Whenever the psalm is sung, the hearers cannot help but remember the words of the blessings recorded for us in the book of Numbers. And as we hover over these words, we want to be reminded of three things about our blessedness as we think about these words to us. First is the very fact that blessings come from the Lord. Blessings come from the Lord. We should note well here that God is reminded to us as the creator and redeemer and is the very one from whom all blessings flow. In fact, the words emphasize, may God be gracious to us. May God bless us. May God make his face to be known on earth. Just in case you missed the point, what's intriguing about the Numbers passage from which the psalmist borrows these words, it actually has the explanation uh, from God of what he's trying to say. And the last words in that passage in Numbers uh, 6.27 record these words when God the Father says, I will bless them. Not the circumstances, not any other people, but I will bless them. Now, what's intriguing about that verse, number 627, is that the original actually contains a word that the English translations do not. And it's a word of emphasis where perhaps more properly translated, it should say, I myself will bless them. Not others, not other circumstances, but I myself bless them, God said. There is this emphasis on the very fact that God is the one who brings blessing and that God will bless his people. Perhaps it is a reminder to us in this emphatic moment of reminding us of God as the source of our blessing because our natural tendency is to look for blessings in all the wrong places. In the Old Testament, the Israelites often sought blessings from other nations instead of going before the Lord. This often led to worshiping of the idols of the nations instead of worshiping the one and true God. It meant making golden calves instead of devoting themselves to worship before God. In many ways, we are not unlike the Israelites of old, where we are guilty of looking for blessings where no true blessings can be found. 
Whether in relationships and marriage, financial security, status, education, success, or beauty, or whatever have you, we look for our blessings in those things. To have them means that we're blessed. To not have them means that we are not blessed. We desire to feel blessed, security, and significance from having and owning these things without recognizing that they're mere illusions to us. In our family worship recently, as we were going around, I asked my two kids and my wife to talk about sins that we want to share with one another. I led off by sharing my own sin that I'm struggling with. My son, who's 11, almost 12, said, I have something to say, he said. And I was looking for something very significant, having heard his dad talk about sin in our family devotion. He said, I have a problem with idolatry, he said. Idolatry is a word that we use pretty commonly in our family in terms of seeing those things where we find our significance and great joy, he said. And my idol really is video games, he said. We have fairly strict rules regarding tablet and game times, about half an hour on Saturday and throughout uh, uh, the school week, they don't get to play. But over uh, uh, vacation, they do have some time each and every single day. And if they practice piano for half an hour, they get additional five minutes. And if they practice an hour, they get additional 10 minutes. This is how we've worked out the system of electronic engagement on our, in our household. But he said he has this idolatry because this is all he thinks about. He dreams about it. He thinks about it. He watches videos of people playing. Well, I don't know what that's all about. But he has this fixation with video games, he says. And there's something wise about that statement from a young child because it seems video games seem so trivial to us who are older and adults, but they are exactly the way idols work. They become fixations for us. They become the very things we look for and we consider it our blessing to have them and to not to have them is a lack of blessing in our lives. Fill in the blank, whatever those things ought to be. This is where James and now the psalmist reminds us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's not things, it's not people, it's God, the source of our blessings. But the second thing we ought to think about as we hover upon the notion of blessing is that true blessedness, true blessing is to actually know God. We can summarize it this way by saying true blessing comes from a face-to-face relationship with God, experiencing his presence and his favor. It's about a relationship with our Father in heaven. Aaron's blessings begin with the words, the Lord bless you and keep you, a promise that the Lord will provide for all they, they need. And in fact, verse 6 of chapter 67 remind us, the earth has yielded its increase. That is to say, there are daily provisions and needs. The Lord will provide for us. Yet the focus of the Lord's blessing in Psalm 67 are not things or people, but are found in the words of verse 1 when it says, May God be gracious to you and make his face to shine upon us. May God be gracious to you and make his face to shine upon us. For you see, friends, true blessing is knowing God face to face. The image of having God's face shine upon us is a biblical one that's actually quite wonderful. Have you seen faces that delight in you? Faces that beam 
when they see you? My kids are now 14 and 12, nearly anyways, and so they barely come out of their rooms when I come home from work. But that wasn't always the case. When I would come home from work, when there are two, three, four, five, they will run toward the front door. Have you ever seen, and do you remember that, a young kid? I know Pastor Paul has now a four-month-old, so he hasn't seen the beaming yet. There will one day, and then just it's temporary. It will change quickly. In fact, my wife used to beam when I would come home, but no longer is that true in our household either. That face where the eyes twinkle and the smile is big and the whole face beams in seeing someone they love and they enjoy. No longer the case for me at home, but perhaps that's the closest approximation I can turn to in reminding us of what God's face looks like when he sees his sons and daughters. He beams. For the essence of biblical blessing is to have the Lord delight us in us so much that it is as if his face shines whenever, wherever he sees us. Blessing is primarily not our faces shining at beholding the beauties of God as we go and see nature or the blessings of things that we behold as the Lord has provided for our needs, but true blessing is when God delights and beams, when he sees us. It's about a relationship that is face-to-face, and he delights to be with us. The Old Testament gives us a couple images for us to consider, where in Genesis chapter 5, we see the relationship between God and his son Enoch being described as simply, Enoch walked with God. That's all that the verse actually says. That famed Baptist preacher from the 1800s actually explained the passage to say, look, the relationship was sufficient and enough. In this description was not found where they're going, as if the destination is what's important. It also did not discuss what they were talking about in that conversation, because the topic of conversation didn't matter. Nor did it mention to us what the scenery was like, as if going for this walk in a beautiful area is what people were seeking. No, simply being together was enough. Enoch walked with God. Moses a dear friend of God, as the scripture describes it, in Exodus 33:11 says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. It's that relationship that's true blessedness. True blessing is for us to be with God and enjoying him in that moment of togetherness. But the third point in this blessedness is actually a problem. Because what makes this blessing truly amazing to us, at least according to scripture, is that we are undeserving of this blessing. I know it's uncomfortable for some to hear about sins. I recognize in this generation where we are often told that we're generally good, the scriptures infatuation with sin may seem to be at least off-putting to many of us. But that's what Scripture reminds us of who we are. We are undeserving of this attention, undeserving of the Lord's favor and blessings. Isaiah explains it best when he exclaims in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, having seen the perfection and the holiness of God, he says, woe is me, for I am lost. 
Uh, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He concludes that God was angry with him and us because of our sins. And in Romans, Paul described our condition as weak, ungodly, and sinners upon whom came the wrath of God. Instead of his face shining upon us, we were facing the full wrath of his anger as well as his disappointment, and justly so. We were not deserving of his attention. We were not deserving of his presence. We certainly were not deserving of his blessedness. We were deserving of the opposite. Scripture that's as focused on sin then also has an equal and opposite fixation. Grace that overcomes our sinfulness that can be summarized in the phrase, but Jesus, but Jesus. For you see, friends, Jesus is the embodiment of the perfect son about whom God said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased in juxtaposing who we are in sin versus who Jesus is. God is well pleased with his son, Jesus, not so much with those who are sinners. But it's Jesus who shouldered our sins and failures. He endured the mockery and chastisement of the soldiers. He faced abandonment and ridicule from the very people for whom he came. Yet all this humiliation paled in comparison to the abandonment of his father, who was and is pleased with him. You may recall in seeing Jesus upon the cross, his words when he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? We who ought to be forsaken was embraced, and Jesus, in whom the Lord found great pleasure, he, the Lord, abandoned in order that the righteousness of his son may be given to us. What Jesus endured on the cross was the opposite of the blessings recorded for us in Psalm 67. God did not shine his face upon his only begotten, in whom he said he was well pleased. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was broken for our sin. He was abandoned for our faithlessness. He was cursed for our blessing. Thus, the Apostle Paul summarizes this by saying, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. He's taken our place. And because of Jesus, we now receive God's blessing that we certainly do not deserve. Once a sinner, deserving of abandonment and forsaken, being forsaken, God our God, verse 6 says, shall bless us because his face shines when he sees us in Jesus Christ. He now sees me and you here through Jesus Christ and his blood. God's face is turned toward us in Christ Jesus. And no matter what happens in circumstances and relationships in life, it can never, ever be taken away. Thus, the confident declaration of the psalmist in verse 6 and 7, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Friends, do you know, if you are in Christ Jesus, that you and I are blessed? This is not a denial or forgetting of the very many tragedies and burdens and the brokenness and the pain and suffering that surround most people's 
lives. This morning when I saw the news and saw that our president is in Korea, visiting North Korea in particular, it floods back all the memories of my family in particular, whose my parents were bo born in North Korea before the war, and the tragedies of the war can be multiplied and can be shared hours upon hours. And you can probably say that in many ways in your life currently as well, about people or circumstances. But yet those things do not determine whether we are blessed or not when we say, I am blessed. The blessedness is not about circumstances or people. We are blessed simply because our God makes his face to shine upon us in his son Christ Jesus our Lord. We are his and we belong to him. And as his beloved, we are blessed. We are blessed. If you are blessed, these blessings actually come with a purpose. The psalmist makes it clear that being blessed comes with a purpose as he outlines for us in verse 2 when he says, so that, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations, the psalmist says. Surrounded by blessings, the core of the psalm is the refrain in verses 3, 4, and 5. You might have noticed that verses 3 and 5 say exactly the same thing when it says, let the people praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. And in the middle of these twice repeated call for praise is the Lord's intention and desire in verse 4 when he says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you guide the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. This is where perhaps, and there are many more, two things that we ought to consider as purpose for our blessedness. And the first is bless people, worship and give thanks. Bless people, give worship and give thanks. In these three short verses, we are reminded to praise and sing for joy five times. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Do you have an idea as to what the psalmist wants you to do? As blessed people, you ought to worship and give thanks and praises to God. Or perhaps as your evening prayer from last night, were you to reflect on them, are they more containing of laments and complaints, or are they full of thanksgiving and praises? Usually a good diagnostic test of where our hearts are. Because friends, we often forget. We suffer from spiritual amnesia, where even if the good things are there, we forget the next day. Have you noticed that in yourselves? And oftentimes we just don't want to. Simply our hearts and minds do not go together. Even as we sing, even as we read, it, they do not move us. Five times repetition is to remind us that first time, we don't usually listen. We have kids, and perhaps your kids are not like this. When you first mention something, they'll say, uh-huh, but they don't act at all. The second time you tell them to do something, they turn and look at you and say they'll do it, but they don't do it at all. The third time you tell them, they say, oh, we'll do it, and they'll start moving, but their eyes are still fixated elsewhere, whether it's TV or their book or something else that they're working on at the moment. Fourth time, as the parents' voice rise, you see them now actively seeking to do it a little bit more, but without the kind of fervor that I was expecting from them when you say it the fifth time with a stern voice with threats usually implied. That's when they start acting. 
Now, it's funny for our kids, and perhaps it's only my own. Forgive me if that's the case. My parenting is limited up for sure. I'm not, I don't doubt that at all. We as spiritual children are the same. Here the psalmist is reminding us, give worship to the Lord, give thanks to him. For friends, even unbelievers thank God, and we see that all the time. Even unbelievers thank God when they're healthy, when life seems easy and comfortable, and they're successful in whatever they're engaged in, or at least their children are. Even unbelievers know to give thanks to some form of deity when things are going well. What makes believers like you and me and Christians differ and contrarian is the very fact that we give praise, lift up thanksgiving, and worship God even in the midst of pain and weakness, brokenness and tears. Even in the midst of those things. Not because we're positive thinkers, not because things look great and looking for silver lining, not because somehow we endure these things as if we have the power to do so, but the promise is there that in the midst of the valley of shadow of death, our God is there communing with us. This is why the, Paul, Paul is able to say, in the midst of my suffering, Colossians 1.24 says, I rejoice. That's what makes Christians so different because true blessedness doesn't involve people or circumstance. True blessedness is about God and his presence. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus our Lord, we are blessed people. And our purpose in our blessing is for us to worship and give thanks to the Lord. Ask yourselves what your prayers look like and remind yourself to give thanks to the Lord for he has been so good to us. But the second part is the purpose is not only to worship and give thanks to God. Blessed people proclaim. Blessed people proclaim. The community of the saved not only gather to worship and give thanks, but also to proclaim. The joy of being blessed cannot be contained. It must be shared. It must be proclaimed. It cannot be hidden. We are called to this, as it says in verse 2, your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. There are no boundaries. The psalmist repeats all peoples and all nations, as 7 says, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Whether it be in our homes, whether it be among our colleagues, whether it be in the, 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 the walk that you have every single night or perhaps even among your church folks, it cannot be contained, the joy of being blessed. I was thinking about this recently when we celebrated the anniversary of D-Day, World War II in particular. Being Asian American, I think of the Asian theater of war a little bit more. And as we think about the Asian theater of war, you recognize all the atrocities during that time. Well, last November, I was in Japan visiting with some friends and, and, and serving the church at a couple uh, schools as well as the denomination there. And one morning, as we were strategizing about a particular event in Tokyo, I was sitting with two friends. One's name is Mark Bocanegra, who happens to be a Filipino-American, trained at Stanford, went to our school to get his degree, and went out to Japan, married a Japanese lady with three kids, serving the Lord faithfully there. The second gentleman's name was Rui Wang, is Rui Wang, and as the name suggests, he's mainland Chinese. Came to Japan and got his PhD in civil engineering. Jesus found him there. 
And so he came to our school, got his degree, went back out to Tokyo along with his wife, is now serving an international church there in the city of Tokyo. And the three of us were sitting, a Filipino-American, a Chinese national, and a Korean-American, praying and strategizing about Japan and what the Lord is doing there. If you were to list three countries most brutalized by the imperialism of Japan, I cannot think of any other three countries than those three. The Philippines, China, and Korea. I'm sure we have historians here, so you can correct me otherwise. But those three countries minimally were heavily brutalized during that time period. Yet the next generation and the generation next are in Tokyo together, praying about what the Lord is doing there with hopes and confidence that one day the Lord's name will be exalted in that country. Because the joy and the blessedness ought to be shared and must be. It cannot be hidden. It cannot be contained. It must be proclaimed. So blessed people not only worship and give thanks, blessed people proclaim. But oftentimes when we speak about these things, we think of missionaries, because I just spoke about missionaries as well. We think of it as someone else later in time, else or outside the country. And I know this church doesn't think that way. And it's a reminder to us that what the psalmist is asking us is to think of you and me now, here. Not someone else, elsewhere, later. He is convicting us to think about me, here, and now. What does it look like if our blessedness as people who are indeed blessed cannot be contained but must be proclaimed. Here the Lord reminds us that as people who are blessed in his Son, we cannot help but to worship and proclaim his name. The Lord has reminded us as people who are blessed, we are blessed with a purpose of proclaiming his name. We are blessed indeed to bless. As people blessed by God through Jesus, we gather to worship, lifting up our praises and thanksgiving to the Lord. We gather to fellowship, blessing others by our thankfulness and generosity. We gather to proclaim, sharing without discrimination or for that matter with confidence that indeed this is the good news that ought to be shared. The generosity, not only in terms of resources, but generosity in terms of the spiritual gift of life in Christ our Lord, that to whom much has been given, we have the opportunity and joy of being able to serve and proclaim. It's a joy for me to come and seeing what the Lord is doing here at Crossway as, they lift, as you lift up the way of the cross and share this not only here, but in Mississippi and elsewhere as you continue to engage. And our hope and prayer for you from afar in San Diego is that indeed Crossway and all the leadership and every individual that sits here this morning may be utilized by the Lord and be reminded of the blessing that you have in Christ Jesus and even further that reminded that you are blessed with a purpose to worship and give thanks and to proclaim his word. Now, as we close out, really, there's really no other prayer that I can lift up for you than the prayers given to us in this benediction. 
Because what the scripture reminds us, and as it's being declared to you, is the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord uh, uh, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace both now and forevermore. May the Lord bless you. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, O Lord, for your kindness to us. We are blessed to be here. What joy it is for us to be with friends and now family in Christ Jesus, to worship you through song and prayer and word proclaimed. This is indeed a great place to be. We do this not out of obligation, but sense of gratefulness and gratitude to you, for you have sacrificed all for us, and the little that we give, both in financial terms and the time, pale in comparison to what Jesus has done for us already. The one who does not deserve your abandonment for our sake has been abandoned, so that those of us who deserve this abandonment might become close to you, living in your presence. Thank you for being with us. Thank you that you, by your spirit, remind us of the blessing that we have in your son. And we pray that, O oh Lord, that you allow, uh, you open our lips to sing praises to you in worship with all earnestness, with full conviction. That you will open our lips as well as our lives in such a way that through our generosity and our proclamation, indeed, your name will be lifted on high. Thank you for Crossway and the labors that this church is engaged in, both in Brea, Fullerton, as well as Irvine. We ask for your blessings to be upon her and her saints, that all that this church endeavors to do may be bring honor and glory to you. We thank you and pray this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.